0: Welcome to a very special edition of the Neon Jazz interview series with the legendary saxophonist and jazz innovator Phil Woods. At the age of 83 and with 65 years on the jazz stage delighting fans all over the world, he has plenty of insight and stories to dispense. From major influences, how he approaches gigs these days versus in the beginning, what is coming up next in his career, he is full of energy and love for jazz. This is Phil at his best. Please dig it, my friends. Hello? Yeah, Mr. Woods. Yes? It's Joe Domino with Neon Jazz. Joe, okay, I'm Phil. Phil, nice to meet you, man.
1: Yeah, my father's Mr. Woods.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) So what do you want to do? Shall we do it? Yeah, if you're up for it, let's do it. I'm up for it. I'm up. I've been waiting for you. Right on. So let's let's go ahead and start off here. What's been going on lately as far as recording and touring? What's going on in your life?
1: Oh, same as always. Busy as hell. Very nice. I just recorded with uh, Greg up in, um up in Massachusetts, up in Rhode Island, actually. Do you know Greg Abadie, the great alto player from New England?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah, we did, did, did for... Um, Wailing Records, and then I'm also recording with the quintet. We're going to record live from the Deerhead Inn, which is our local jazz club here in Delaware Water Gap. And then I'm going down to Appalachian University with uh, to do a master class and play with their big band. And then uh, I'm going to do Lafayette College here in Pennsylvania. And then we're going on a uh, jazz cruise. My wife and I in the quintet. And then I'm going to unpack.
0: Right on. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds great.
1: That's well, just till the end of the year. That's yes, me... very cool. I, take, I always take December off, so that's those. That's just the October, November gigs, and cool. a few other bits and pieces in between. But those are the high points.
0: Well, let me go back to kind of the beginning of your life here.
1: Your uncle. Oh my God. <laughs>
0: Okay, but I mean,
1: it's all on Wikipedia, but I don't know if I can add any more to it, but go ahead, shoot,
0: what do you want to know about my early life? Well, just a little bit of a motive behind the facts that we have, and and this is what I want to ask you, your uncle left behind an alto sax, you started playing at 12, was it a natural fit for you, was that instrument something you felt that was the thing for you?
1: No, you don't know the story, I was not interested in the saxophone, I found found my uncle's saxophone who died of cancer, he was not my real uncle. He was my uh, my mother's sister's husband. I guess that would make him an uncle. But I never. He was sick most of the time, and I was uh, twelve years old. I think I, my 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 main trust in life was uh, you know. It was during World War II. I was making toy soldiers. You know, go to the junkyard and get lead and melt it and make toy soldiers and paint them and all that. Yeah. So, and I was prowling around with my grandmother's house. She lived below us. We lived on the third floor, and she was on the first and second, second floor. And I looked under the wicker sofa in her den, and I saw this case. I opened it up, and it was the Alto. And I said, Oh my God, I can melt this sucker down and, uh, and have some real soldiers, you know. And somebody mistook. My avaricious intent for an interest in the saxophone. So when uh, Uncle Norman died, I was given the horn, you know, and that's uh, how it all started. But uh, it was not my, it was not my choice. It was all accidental. So yeah, I met my first teacher, Mr. Harvey LaRose, and I think without the first, that first teacher is so important, no matter who you are and what you're doing in life. You know, a, a good teacher can uh, nurture you and keep you going. A bad one can, you know, disappoint you and. And depress you and make you want to quit and do something else. Well, Mr. LaRose just turned me on to Benny Carter and Johnny Hodges, and I discovered Charlie Parker on my own, so it was a good fit. But originally, I was just, uh, you know, my mother said, Your your uncle, you know, went to a great deal of trouble to leave you the horn, and even at age 12, I realized that dying could be considered a a great deal of trouble. That's why I'm going to save it for the last, that's what I'm doing last, you know. (laughs) You should at least take a lesson, and that's how and that's how my my, my life started by age fourteen. I was uh, firmly committed because of mr Harvey Larose's tutelage. I was uh, totally committed to being an alto jazz player
0: right on so you were introduced to charlie yardberg what what did you like did you like the nickname Newbird that you were given?
1: Oh uh, no, nobody likes nicknames. Yeah, New Bird, they called, I mean, every alto player on the block was called New Bird. I mean, that's, that's, that shows you the imagination of uh, journalism. <laughs> right. No, uh, we knew Jackie McLean and me and all of the, the other alto players, we didn't pay too much attention to that. That was all bullshit to sell newspapers or magazines or whatever. We we knew we weren't the New Bird. We knew who we were.
0: Right, absolutely. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I never appreciated it, to say the truth. I thought it was rather stupid. But, you know, but I mean, it was flattering in a way, but... It just, just didn't. I mean, this was wide of the mark, but it didn't do any harm. I don't suppose.
0: Right. So, let me ask you about Lenny Tristano. What did he teach you about life and jazz? He
1: taught me I didn't know enough. I only took six lessons with him, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot, but it was, um, it was, it was kind of. It would be hard to explain, it too, but it was pretty advanced stuff. But I, I caught on pretty quick. By the sixth, by the sixth lesson, I understood what he was talking about, and then I kind of. It inaugurated it into my way of playing i mean he, he was having me playing piano and he'd have me write out a chorus on my favorite tune and then uh and then he play along with me and and show me some stuff you know I mean, it was it was pretty good but I, I was weighing over my head at first but i I caught up
0: right on so what's the how do you approach a gig today versus the way you did when you started out do you have a whole different mentality different way that you do it or is there something that's the same
1: i'm trying to find a good note man <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to try to sound as good as i can and it's not easy when you get to, i'm gonna be 83 in a couple of weeks so uh you know i've been doing it a long time and uh I, I mean, I still love it. I, I still have the fire in the belly, even though I'm not as fleet of foot nor finger as I once was. But uh, now I'm trying to find. I used to play a lot of sixteenth you know, so notes. Now I'm trying to find a good whole note, you know, something that means something. I think. Uh, is
0: beautiful. Right on. What musicians that you played with over the years taught you the most? I mean, is there someone when you, like, really think about all the gigs you've been in, who really... I think Dizzy Gillespie and
1: Quincy Jones are two of my biggest influences. Quincy discovered me, and uh, Dizzy taught me a whole lot of stuff, and we were all... Dizzy and Quincy were, were my dear friends throughout life. I miss Dizzy, but Quincy is still around, and we talk uh, once in a while, and... Uh, yeah, I learned a lot from those two guys.
0: Conversely, what do you teach people that you gig with? What do you want them to get from playing with Phil Woods? I want them to sound good, play well, and
1: be sure be sure about yourself, you know. But the first time I found out I have a saxophone teacher, the first thing I make him a saxophone student, uh, the first thing I do is make him sit at the piano and play some piano. you got to be able to play the piano before you get to me. Otherwise, you might as well go to your local teacher and, and you'd be better. But I insist upon keyboard uh, technique. that's not, not, so, not so much technique, but keyboard harmony, you know, which you have to teach if you go to uh, Berkeley or Juilliard or any, any number of schools. You have to, do, you have to learn. Classical musicians have to do the same thing. So uh, that's, that's what I would do.
0: Speaking of piano, what did Monk teach you about playing? What did Monk teach me about playing? Yeah. Oh, it's more like what did Hall Overton teach me about playing. Hall Overton was the guy that
1: transcribed all of Monk's solos, and he gave me copies of it. Okay. So that was so that when I played, when I went to the first rehearsal, I knew what was going on. I, I always do my homework. I always go to the piano. The piano has all of the answers. I go to the piano first and, and check out the harmony, and then I go to the horn and get the melodies together and. And all about and try to find the hard parts and get them together. So that's uh, as I say, a monk. You know, when when you see like I'm on a on a monk tune, it says G seventh. Well, that's not like everybody else's G seventh. You have to study what the melody is and where it comes from in the piece, and you know, you have to do your homework before you can play monk. It's not just not just a matter of playing the changes, but it's a matter of. Uh, Finding out what the man was about, and the man was very, very deep. You know, I mean, it was very deep, very deep. Absolutely. So I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I I learned that I had to learn a lot more. Yeah. And still learning that I have to learn a lot more. Absolutely. I think that's. I think that's what life's about.
0: It is for sure. (laughs) Do you like being famous?
1: Do I like being famous? Yeah. No, Kenny G is famous. I have a nice good reputation, but I'm not famous.
0: (laughs) I'm
1: very happy with my life the way it is.
0: What's the nicest thing a fan has ever said
1: to you? Ah, uh, oh, I mean, I meet a lot of couples who said that they love my music, and when they got married, they played uh, they played one of my songs for my LPs. That that really knocks me out. And that happens quite a bit. Right on. And I've been doing it for over, i been doing this for sixty five years, so I got a lot of people I run across that say we really enjoyed listening. To, and I've been recording since nineteen fifty four, so I have a lot of material out there. It's it's really nice to you know, when I meet somebody who's, who, who finds my music of uh, import in their life, you know, that, that, that that's that makes me feel really good. Yeah. And the next thing the next greatest thing for a musician is to have a have a famous musician record one of his tunes and that's happened to me several times, you know, so that that's that's uh, that's good, you know, the Kamajam Mall recorded goodbye Mr Evans and a few other a few other tunes of mine have been recorded by Well World, world-renowned musicians, and that really makes, makes you feel good as a composer.
0: So, after 65 years of playing, is there anybody that you want to play with that you haven't yet?
1: No. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I always wanted to work, to work with Frank Sinatra, and I almost did, but it never really quite worked out, because I played with every, every singer known to man. Let's see, is there anybody I want to play with? I think I played with everybody. I mean, uh, they just released... A Bud Powell record that was recorded back in 1957 and never was never was released, and the Japanese released it last week, wow. which is pretty strange. It's me and Donald Byrne and uh, and uh, and Bud Powell. So you know that goes out to my uh, my uh, discography. You know, because I, 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 I never really recorded with Bud. I played with him, but now I can fully say that I've recorded with Bud Powell. So uh, yeah. you no, know, i, I you know, I mean, my God, check my discography. I can't think
0: of anybody that, that's left out. Yeah, without a doubt. So you've you've been inspired for 65 years to play the horn and to do amazing things. What has been the inspiration for you? Well,
1: I love music. I love what I do. I'm a lucky man. I mean, I travel all over the world, and I stay in the best hotels. I, get, I make a, a good taste, and, I, and I, as
0: I say, I do, I play, I do what I love. It's, I, I'm a lucky man. So of all the albums that you've, you've made as a leader, whenever you really kind of sit back and think, what period was really something that strikes your fancy and makes you think, man, that was awesome? I think some of the best stuff was done by the
1: Phil Woods Quintet in the 70s and 80s when we had Tom Harrell. Um, um he was just the horn and I think that was and Hal Gopper was the pianist. And I think all of the all of the Phil Woods quintets have been been pretty good, you know, but that was that, that that was sort of a high point. And we did a lot of records for Concord and I think they they hold up very well. Because we had to we had the consistency of being with the company for a while, so that had a lot to do with it. You know.
0: Yeah. So has Jazz made the world a better place?
1: Yeah, of course it has. I sleep a little better knowing that jazz is in my neighborhood. What's I money? mean, you no, know, you can't. I mean, the importance of jazz is. I mean, I lived in Europe for five years, and uh, and I was in Russia with Benny Goodman's band. And, and jazz music, through the voice of America, jazz always represented freedom—freedom freedom with responsibility—and uh, it's a very important propaganda tool. I mean, America used to send uh, Louis Armstrong and Dave Brubeck and Duke Ellington and uh, Quincy Jones and Dizzy Gillespie overseas to represent America, you know. And, uh, it's a very important music. It's more than just, it's not, it's not, it's not easy. I mean, people always say, oh, I like soft jazz, you know, or smooth jazz, and you know, I mean, that's fine, but that, that I, I prefer creative, more creative music, more, impro- it's, it's an improvised American music is what jazz is all about with African overtones, of course, but it encompasses everybody, I mean, whether they're flamenco players in Spain or the the music of Argentina. I mean, I mean it's, it, jazz has influenced the whole the whole world's music. You know, we used to have a, a voice of America for Americans, for uh, Europeans, but we never had a voice of America for Americans. So a lot of Americans just don't like jazz. They don't quite understand it. And I like to think that we're helping to change that.
0: Man, that's a beautiful yeah. answer. Um, what uh, what's left for you to accomplish, Phil? What's left? Oh,
1: I'm still writing and
0: rehearsing, and quintet
1: is going. I mean, I'm just going to keep keep on keep. I'm going to keep on keeping on, as they say.
0: Right on. So we're coming here from Kansas City, the the home of the Jazz Hall of Fame, and a lot of stories. Have you gigged here? You have any good memories of Kansas City?
1: Kansas City, yeah. I played Baker's Lounge many years ago. Right on. Yeah, it was terrific.
0: Cool. Kansas
1: City is a great town for jazz.
0: Yeah, without a doubt without a doubt um, let me let me ask you this I'm going to kind of wrap everything up here how do you want the world to remember you when everybody opens up the book of jazz the proverbial book and they look at Phil Woods how do you want the world to remember your impact on it well I like it to
1: remember the fact that I've tried to remain true to, true to, the, to the music and uh, to tried to sound good tried to try to say something that was meaningful to the world or, or to my best friends or to my wife I just want to sound good and uh, and uh, help change change the world
0: Phil thank you very much I love your music it's been a thrill to talk with you <laughs> man. I hope to see you soon. Absolutely. Take care. Absolutely. Bye. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, KC, LA and spots all over America giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to the legendary Phil Woods for his energy brilliance and time. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe DeMino on the iTunes Store, or for all things neon jazz, visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz